Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Surface for business devices are designed for work anywhere. Wherever and however you or your teams work or collaborate, Surface gives your organization the freedom to work anywhere while retaining the control you need to stay secure with built-in security at every layer from chip to cloud protection from Microsoft. Visit www.aka.ms forward slash surfaceforbusiness.ca to learn more about Surface for Business devices. As so often happens in politics and in life, now that the U.S. election is behind us, there's an emerging view that maybe the last four years of the Trump administration's protectionist trade policy weren't such an aberration. That some of the policies that put tariffs on Canadian exports may not go away even under a Biden administration. I'm Gabe Friedman, host of Down to Business, and this week I'm joined by Meredith Lilly, an associate professor at Carleton University in Ottawa, where she's the Simon Reisman Chair in International Affairs. Lilly previously served as Foreign Affairs and International Trade Advisor to Canadian Prime Minister Stephen Harper, where she worked on Canada's trade negotiations with the European Union, South Korea, and the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Getting rid of tariffs may not be as easy as flipping a switch, Lily told me, in part because a U.S. president only holds so much power. We talked about whether Canada's trade relationship with the U.S. has permanently shifted, about the state of free trade and protectionism in China and the rest of Asia, and whether the Keystone Pipeline is dead in the water under a new president. Here's what she had to say. My guest today is Meredith Lilly. She's an associate professor and an associate director of the MA program at Carleton University, and she focuses on trade policy. Meredith, thanks so much for joining me today on Down to Business. Thanks for having me, Gabe. Great to have you. We've, we've all seen how attitudes around trade have really shifted in the past four years under the Trump presidential administration in the U.S. Trump clearly showed a willingness, maybe zeal is a better word, for using tariffs against Canada. I just wanted to ask whether you you think this would happen under a Biden administration. Well, I I think that Biden will not continue to threaten tariff action, particularly against Canada, um, moving forward. Uh, I I think that he's been fairly clear that this hasn't really been particularly effective under the Trump administration. And so I don't anticipate that he's going to use this sort of constant tariff threat and tariff action uh, against, certainly not against Canada, although there is some potential that 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 will continue against countries like China. Um, But having said that, I think that I'm not nearly as optimistic that that Biden will unwind either tariffs that are in place or or uh, various kinds of managed trade action that uh, came in under the Trump administration. And frankly, that is because it's difficult to uh, sort of devote political attention to problems unless they're campaign promises for an incoming president. And so unless this is a priority for Uh, President Biden to undo, then it will be very challenging for countries like Canada to get enough attention from the Americans 
to get them to un- undo things that they don't see as a problem on the American side. Can I just ask, I mean, I thought this would be fairly simple with aluminum, right? Trump could sort of just flip a switch one day and say, okay, no more tariffs. Why do you think it would be difficult for Biden to do the same? Well, in the case of the aluminum tariffs, you know, there there is some kind of continuing uh, problems on that side for Canada, because although we didn't get the aluminum tariffs in, in the summer, we were able to get those overturned. In fact, there is this sort of quota requirement, and I don't expect that to go away. And part of the reason I don't expect that to go away is that I'm always reminded of a dispute that was ongoing by the time that I entered into my previous role in the prime minister's office. And that was the country of origin labeling dispute that Canada really got sideswiped by in 2008. So, This was a piece of the U.S. Farm Bill that required all meat to be labeled for its originating country. And the whole point was to promote the purchase of American beef and pork and the grocery store shelf. So the reason this became a real problem for Canada, as well as Mexico, is that we've had integrated meat processing on both borders for a very long time. And so when this country of origin labeling rule came in in the States, it required American meat processors to unwind their supply chains and sort of take the bits of Canadian and Mexican meat on either side of the border out so that they could qualify for that American um, grown sticker that would go on all of the meat. So, you know, this was a bill that came in under a Democrat-controlled Congress against President Bush's wishes. Then Obama came to power. He was essentially forced to live with it because it was a Democrat policy. And it actually took two WTO challenges by Canada and Mexico and pretty much Obama's entire presidency to unwind those rules. And it really was because this was something that was a domestic priority by a niche group of American supporters. So even though Neither of the presidents that were responsible for this policy really, I don't think they really believed in it. Uh, it. It took many, many, many years and billions of dollars of threatened retaliation to unwind that policy. So the reason I think that's important when I think about Biden coming into power is that there really are limits to a president's power. And so if something like tariffs are not a priority for Biden, then then there's there's too much sort of inertia in the system for him to prioritize this unless it's something that really benefits American interests. And so that's why I think that it can be we can be really stuck with holdovers from the Trump administration for a very long time. It was really interesting what you talk about about how we sometimes forget that presidents aren't monolithic in their powers and that they still have to work with Congress and but aluminum is maybe a good pivot point because the tariffs that Trump imposed on aluminum, you know, he he accused Canada of decimating the U.S.'s aluminum industry, and that's why he imposed the tariffs. When you talk to users of aluminum, they said this was really nonsensical. I'm talking about users in the U.S. that's all about smelting and cheap power, and Canada's hydroelectric dams just give it this natural advantage. So putting up tariffs on aluminum is just going to hurt the U.S. auto industry, which uses aluminum and needs a cheap source of aluminum to be competitive. This seems like one area where I could see Biden bridging ties with Canada. He seems less about bluster than Trump and more about trying to find a way towards rational policies. I think that's right. And there's a couple of points to that. So one is this idea that 
Trump was a very transactional president. And so he was willing to take action that had a great headline and didn't necessarily have a lot of policy meat or evidence underlying those policies. So putting tariffs on kind of fits that transactional way that he, he liked to behave. But I think I would agree that we should expect that I think Biden to be certainly more pragmatic. And if a case is made around why putting on certain tariffs is actually going to make things more expensive for Americans, then I think that reason can be can be found there. And certainly in the case of aluminum, as well as steel, for that matter, a case can be made for the reasons to ensure that uh, Canadian exports continue and that and that pl- placing tariffs on these things really is just making things more expensive for American purchasers. Now, you know, there, there's been a long history long before President Trump of placing of action in certain sectors and steel is one of those. So just because we've got Biden coming in and he's a Democrat and he does appear to be more level headed, we have seen these kinds of actions in certain industrial sectors in the United States under many, many administrations. And so while I think aluminum might be a separate case, largely because Canada really is one of the world's major aluminum producers, I wouldn't expect the Biden administration not to behave that way on something like steel. Right. That's interesting. Seems to be the sort of prevailing wisdom now is that the protectionism we saw into the last four years isn't going away overnight. But, you know, Trump, under his administration, he did sign this new trade agreement between Mexico, the U.S. and Canada, the new NAFTA, which many analysts I've spoken to have said really, you know, was pretty similar to the original NAFTA. I guess if the original NAFTA was kind of celebrated as this epitome of free trade, is the protectionism that we're seeing and we're talking about, is it really more around the margins and What's your impression of how that may or may not change or um, what the legacy of that will be? Yeah, well, the vast majority of the new USMCA is really not that different than NAFTA. So so the core parts of NAFTA persist, as does Canada's supply management system, much to the chagrin of the Americans. But there are a couple of areas of change. There's a few areas that are positive around actually continuing liberalization of trade. So in that way, I would say that, yes, these ideas around protectionism are uh, on the margins and sometimes quite sector specific. So areas that the USMCA actually continues to liberalize trade is in areas like digital, which the internet didn't really exist as as a marketplace under NAFTA when it was first signed. And so now there's a digital chapter and an e-commerce chapter and those kinds of things. So those are regarded as quite positive. But areas that will, I think, see some continuing protectionism under a Biden administration and by a USMCA are through the use of provisions like labor and environment provisions. So while certainly Canada and the United States regard having strong environmental and labor provisions as positive things, it's quite normal in a lot of developing countries to see these as forms of protectionism that just make it more difficult to offshore various forms of manufacturing to developing country jurisdictions that have lower labor and environmental standards. So in this case, that would be Mexico. And so I do think that part of the USMCA, it really was 
negotiated in a manner to attempt to reshore some investment to the United States. And in particular, that would be in the auto sector. So there are provisions around having a guaranteed wage that makes the United States a more attractive place to set up manufacturing, as well as Canada, for that matter. We have fairly similar wages in in the auto sector. But by imposing and bringing in additional labor and environmental standards, it does one of two things. It either forces Mexico to increase its standards in order to have a level playing field across all three countries, or it incentivizes companies to return to the United States in order to build cars there. And in that respect, you know, the Biden's transition documents, as well as his campaign documents, talk about the creation of a million so-called green jobs in the U.S. auto sector through the building of electric cars, and that this will create a million American jobs for American auto workers. And so, uh, you know, these are ways that I think we will continue to see some protectionism and attempt to use the USMCA to advance those objectives. One area that I wanted to ask you about was China. In the news this morning, I saw something that China had brokered this new trade agreement. It's throughout Asia, and it's the largest trade agreement in terms of the number of countries who have signed on. What do you think our attitudes towards China will remain or ossify? Or how do you see us our relationship with China changing? Well, there's sort of two parts of that. So, so the new agreement that was just signed, the RCEP agreement, is this regional trade agreement that's primarily about goods. Uh, it was positioned to be a very exciting trade deal for the Asia-Pacific region when India was part of it. But I think it's about a year ago now that India withdrew uh, because it didn't like the terms of the deal. And so China really became the big player in that trade agreement. So I think what RCEP really signals is the continuing regionalization of trade in Asia, as well as Asia really signaling that it is going to continue forward with trade liberalization, regardless of what Europe and North America think about those concepts. So as we start to be quite introspective around globalization and we're moving into this world of globalization. Asia Pacific is having nothing of it. They're going to continue full steam ahead with regionalized trade and that is going to benefit the region and it will only continue to be through things like RCEP, which will reduce sort of trade barriers within that region. When it comes to China's relationship with the United States and Canada, though, as well as other countries in the West, I do think that we're only going to see continuing challenges and tensions. In the case of Canada, our our big problem looming over the relationship now is the continuing detention of the two Michaels as a result of Canada's arrest of Meng Wanzhou. And until that situation is resolved, I do not think that we will return to anything like a normal trading relationship with China, nor do I think that we should. And that's an area that seems like could change under Biden, right? Yeah, well, certainly I think Biden will have a different approach to China. I do think that uh, action that the administration takes around Meng Wanzhou will certainly be more activist and more reliable. I have always been concerned that the Trump administration was using Meng Wanzhou as a negotiating chip to achieve other objectives that we as Canada may or may not even know what those are. And and so I think that that will disappear. I believe that Biden does believe in rule of law and will treat the case in a much more traditional manner. But you do raise an interesting point, which is that whenever a new 
leader comes into any country and you have a very difficult diplomatic situation and you have citizens that are detained, it actually does create an opportunity to reset relations, reset the playing field. And so it does create an opportunity to have a new discussion around these issues. And at this point, I think that we would like to do anything we can to unstick the problem, but Canada will continue to rely on its rule of law argument that it's put forward in the past. I don't think that will change. And so really, if anything is going to change in this situation, it could come from the American side. Yeah. One thing that's amazing to me about that case is how long this legal extradition process is taking. One question I just wanted to ask you, too, while we still have a little bit of time. I mean, you mentioned how there's a lot in the latest trade agreement about the environment, and that maybe provides a pivot point to Keystone Pipeline. Biden, of course, has said that he would withdraw the presidential permit for this, which once again puts the future of this pipeline in in limbo. Do you have any thoughts about what, whether this might be the final blow to that or whether this pipeline argument is just going to persist indefinitely? Well, there's a lot happening in the global energy market at the moment, major transition that's a separate piece to all of this. But Canadians are furiously trying to read the, the tea leaves right now on Biden's decision around the Keystone pipeline. And so One of the arguments that's kind of put forward is that Prime Minister Trudeau and his team, who are very committed to addressing climate change, will need to find some kind of way to marry that shared interest with the Biden camp on also continuing to build that pipeline. So there's a little bit of threading the needle talk that's been happening in Canada around how to do this. But I think for that to happen... You know, I think there is a path for Biden's team to be persuaded, but it will take a few things. So I actually went and looked at both Biden's campaign documents as well as the transition documents around Keystone. And the word Keystone never actually appears in either of those documents. And one thing that I noticed in the new transition documents that were put out by Biden's team is that it it says that they will not issue new presidential permits for pipelines, which sounds a little bit different than rescinding a permit, which is what he has campaigned on in the past. And so we're on the Canadian side going to cling to all hope that there's a path to continue to advance the pipeline. In order for that to happen, though, I think that it can't just be us asking or us asking nicely. Uh, it, it also will have to be positioned in terms of American interests. And so it will really need members of Congress and those who are along the pipeline route to make an argument to the president about American jobs and the number of American jobs that it is going to create and how rescinding a pipeline would actually kill jobs. And that would be an argument that might be attractive right now, given the job situation in the U.S., particularly for oil workers and pipeline workers. So there might be a path there, but it requires some real persuasion and will, both in terms of positioning this as reflecting American economic interests, as well as good bilateral relations with Canada. There's so much we could talk about now, but just wanted to ask if you had any sort of final thoughts on how Canada-U.S. trade relations, which are so important, um, 
Do you have any thoughts about how our trade relations may have shifted permanently over the last four years, if at all? I've thought about this quite a bit. And for now, I'd like to hope that they're not going to to change that much. So there is this narrative that in four years, Donald Trump has had a fundamental influence on the direction of Canada-U.S. trade relations. And I think it's has required Canada to become introspective and to think about broadening our trading relationships with other countries. And that is important, but it's not going to change anytime soon that Canada's number one trade partner is the United States. One of the things that gets lost in bilateral statistics is understanding the direction of that trade. And so 75% of Canada's exports are headed for the U.S., while only 15% of American exports are headed to Canada. And so one of the things that Canada always has to remember is that we have to really prioritize that relationship with the United States at all levels. And in a way that it's not actually reciprocal on the American side, we don't represent the same level of importance to Americans as the United States presents to Canada. And so what that means is we have to work harder and we have to continue to make the case for why supporting Canada-U.S. trade continues to reflect American interests. And while President Trump, I think, revealed some real cracks in that relationship, we've got you know, more than 100 years of history trading in certain sectors, particularly softwood lumber. And so I'd like to think that four years of disruption with President Trump doesn't cast some kind of permanent blow on the relationship. So I think that many on the Canadian side would like things to get back to quote unquote normal. But there is, a, I think, a feeling that will persist for a very long time that uh, we can't always rely on the United States. And we do have to prioritize Canadian interests, I think, a little bit more in a more self-interested way than, than perhaps we have in the past. Yeah, well, that's a really thoughtful reflection. So thank you so much, Meredith. Sure. Well, thanks for having me, Gabe. That was Meredith Lilly, an associate professor at Carleton University and a former trade advisor to Prime Minister Stephen Harper. Thanks for listening to this episode of Down to Business and a note of appreciation for the team behind this episode. Bryce Hall for music and production, Yadula Hussein for editing, and Pamela Heaven and Victoria Wells for web support. Please consider rating Down to Business on your podcast app and sharing an episode with someone. I'm Gabe Friedman, and until next week, you can find all your business news at financialpost.com.